What you are about to hear are accounts of real pro wrestling events. Some names, mostly ours, have been changed to protect the innocent. Welcome to Snap Judgments. Welcome to Snap Judgments AEW Edition. I am your host, Detective Mark Smarks. And uh, this week, of course, as always, we go over AEW Dark and AEW Dynamite. Uh, Before I get into those, though, I will uh, remind everyone that we are a part of the Tatnus Co. Podcast Network. So if you like what you hear from us and would like to hear other entertaining podcasts, head over to tatnusco.com and click the uh, network tab and see all the other shows that are on there. Uh, There's some great things for you to potentially listen to there. And then come back here and watch us or listen to us again next week. Um, Actually, not even next week. Listen to our next episode, which um, will be coming up in a matter of days, uh, one way or another. We do six episodes a week, four of them reviews, and then our two standard episodes, the FBI and the WBU. Um, We also will be um, on the WBU this week um, talking about Double or Nothing, which is this week. Um, That brings us to this week in AEW, which this was the go-home editions of AEW Dark and AEW Dynamite. Uh, Leading into Double or Nothing, there were a lot of things set up to set things up and a lot of things that were just kind of weird and fun. So it was another Double Dark episode, meaning it was an hour and a half long, uh, which was nice to see uh, again them back to these extra long episodes. Uh, You know, there were some times during the early parts of this uh, pandemic where they were 15 minutes long with four or five matches in them, you know? So it was nice, nine matches uh, this week uh, featuring at at least one or two debuts, uh, people who we've never seen before, uh, which was really, really fun. Um, Not a lot of fluff on AEW Dark. Uh, they just, you know, had a voiceover introduction for the match and went to the match. And then, uh, hey, that match was over, voiceover introduction to the next match and went to the next match. So, started with Hikaru Shida versus uh, Danny Jordan. Um, I always love me some Hikaru Shida. Uh, she's one of my favorites uh, in AEW right now. And um, I always love watching her, so... And Danny Jordan's fun. I, I don't know if she's signed yet, uh, but I hope she is. She's got kind of a interesting gimmick with the mean girl and the, the well, I can't even remember what she called it, the, the mean book, the burn book, I think is what she called it, that she brings out. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see her be able to develop that more into a, well, for lack of a better term, a list of Jericho sort of a thing. You know, in a promo, someone would say something. She'd be like, you know what? Hey, that's great. You know, oh, that's super nice. And then she'd write their name down in the burn book. Uh, so that that would be cool. Needless to say, though, they're building Sheeta up as the number one contender, which she is. And this was really just designed to uh, build her up. And, and uh, it did. It, it did what it did. And so Sheeta got the win over Danny Jordan. Fun, fun match overall, but not super long. So I did like it, though. Next up, we had QT Marshall against Clutch Adams. Another name I'd never heard of before and, and uh, probably 
won't hear for a while. Um, obviously, he was a fill-in more than anything else. You know, uh, you, you you see like Danny Jordan. You know, they're obviously high on her. They obviously want to focus on her at some point if they can sign her. Right. It's the same thing when they had uh, uh, Vanilla Vance, Preston Vance, who is now ten. You could tell by the way they presented him when he came out for that, that they, they were interested in potentially using him long-term. Clutch Adams, I just didn't get the feeling that he was uh, set up to be a long-term project of theirs. And in the end, uh, he lost pretty quickly to uh, QT Marshall. And, you know, I don't know. It, it wasn't a squash match by any means. But at the same point, there wasn't a moment at it when, you know, you didn't expect QT Marshall to win, which says a lot because QT Marshall's not really presented as a huge threat overall. So that's kind of the thing with that. Um, moving on, we had Marco Stunt versus Jason Cade. Jason Cade has been featured quite a few times before on Dark, and this actually made, made a pretty decent little match because Marco Stunt wasn't, like, outmatched, you know, in terms of physique by Jason Cade. Yes, Jason Cade's bigger, but not really by that much. You know, it's it's not like looking at uh, Marco Stunt next to Luchasaurus or uh, Jake Hager, someone who just towers over him. Um, it was a little bit more even look to it, um, which definitely helped. You know, we knew Marco Stunt was probably going to get the win, uh, and he did. And, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty good there. All in all, back and forth, I uh, hit the 450 splash uh, to win the match. We also then follow up with uh, Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian versus Musa and Lee Johnson. Um, I don't know if Lee Johnson and Musa uh, tag together on the independence much if they're a team, but they've definitely put them together as a team uh, on Dark. And they do work pretty decent together, um, but they don't like, they don't have the look of a team. They look like two people who are, hey, wrestle as a team. And they, like I said, they worked well together, but, you know, when you saw the Hardy Boys um, or the Steiner Brothers or Edge and Christian or, you know, all these great tag teams, Road Warriors, uh, you know, they, they had a team look. And, and even today, you know, let's get to modern, but, you know, go over to WWE, you've got the New Day. They have a look, you know, the Revival had a look. You know, tag teams, the Young Bucks have a look. A private party, look like a team. And that's where Musa and Lee Johnson kind of fall apart. This was a good match, though. Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian do work fairly well together. They're kind of an odd couple, um, you know, and kind of a, a, a counterpoint to my previous argument about having a look because they don't look like they match. But somehow or another, that kind of works with Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. So, and I love Jimmy Havoc. He's awesome. I, I love his style. I love his look. I do hope they give him at least a little bit more time to shine in the future. But, you know, as of right now, eh, you know, they have him in these kind of like little feuds here and there. Um, I do have to say, though, Jimmy Havoc on Sammy Guevara's blog, just uh, these little vignettes of him just backstage beating someone up. For no reason. It was always funny. So moving on, we have Phoenix versus the captain, Sean Dean. Um, one of the benefits with this uh, pandemic, 
uh, has been getting to see all these independents, and unlike Clutch Adams earlier, Sean Dean has shown quite a few times on this. So we're getting to the point where I actually recognize him. I actually saw him out there. And they put on a good match, and, you know, I can see Sean Dean potentially joining uh, the ranks as, as, I don't know if he's ready to be a spotlight entertainer yet, but he's a little bit more than enhancement talent, I think. So moving on, a Phoenix wins, by the way. Um, moving on, Luther versus John Cruz, an example of trying to put Luther over as kind of the crazy guy who um, just flattens people and, and is not afraid to do whatever he needs to to win. Uh, Luther wins. Private Party versus Ryan Rembrandt and Mike Reed. I don't remember seeing Rembrandt and Reed before, so I think they were brought in uh, for the first time for this. A good match, decent overall. Uh, nothing super spectacular out of Rembrandt and Reed. Of course, Marquen and, and Isaiah Cassidy get the win. Um, Cassidy actually hits the Swanton Bomb to win. Private Party wins. Moving on, we had the match that I was looking forward to of the announced matches. Sammy Guevara versus Alan Angels. And I do think they have someone in Alan Angels. I suspect that they have plans to potentially sign him because this is the third dark in a row where, or maybe not in a row, but third dark with Alan Angels on it, where they allowed Alan Angels to look like he could maybe hold his own with someone that they're presenting as a star. In the end, there was no doubt that Sammy Guevara was going to win, but they gave Alan Angels a chance to shine, and that was really fun to see. You know, they had him versus Phoenix last week, and uh, Phoenix made him look like a superstar. And of course, not too long ago, he was in the match with Kenny Omega, and Kenny Omega made him look awesome. Even though, like I said in my review, there was never a point in either of those matches that I thought Alan Angels was actually going to win. It was nice to see him get some offense in and present him as someone who could come in and potentially down the road be a threat. I wouldn't be surprised seeing the Angel join the Dark Order at some point. That's kind of the thing that they've been building up as the way for these enhancement talents to come in and potentially become big stars. And then finally, we have the main event, Darby Allen versus Serpentico. Uh, this was the first time I've seen Serpentico. I know he's wrestled elsewhere. Um, I just have never had a chance to see one of his matches. He's got a good look. Um, and Darby Allen always looks good. So in the end, it was a pretty decent match back and forth. You know, I don't think I ever expected Serpentico to win. Uh, that's kind of the running theme with Dark right now is because they're using enhancement talent so heavily, there is a little bit of lack of suspense in these. And I think that's, that's starting to show more now than, than it was before. In the end, uh, uh, Alan hits the uh, coffin drop on the outside, uh, and then he rolls him in and, and rolls Serpentico up to win the match. So that is the end of AEW Dark. Like I say, it was a decent episode all in all. I don't have complaints necessarily, but it would be nice to see some, some, ep some matches on Dark that were a little bit more in question. Some matches where we were a little bit more like, I don't know, you know, put some big names versus some other big names, you know. If you're going to have 
Kip Sabian and, and uh, Jimmy Havoc be a team, put them in the match versus Private Party. You can have it end in a schmoz. You can have it. I'm not saying that every match needs to end in a schmoz. Uh, there's there's a very fine line between good schmoz ending and bad schmoz ending. And you know, WCW eventually got really well known for overdoing the schmoz ending. Uh, WWE has overdone the schmoz ending a lot. But in the entire history of AEW. As of right now, there's only been one disqualification in a year officially of doing shows, although Dynamite and Dark have only been going for about, what, eight months now? But they started Double or Nothing last year, and in that year, they've had one DQ. And it wasn't even a full DQ finish, it was a DQ fall in an Iron Man match. And that you can have a few more of those. So you could have... Uh, Kip Sabian and, and Jimmy Havoc, the heels, end up going overboard and, and getting DQ'd in that match. And then it makes Mark Quinn and, and Isaiah Cassidy look great because they didn't lose to Jimmy Havoc. And, and, but at the same point, it makes Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc look vicious. So there's a use for it. I understand they're trying very, very hard not to overdo it. But by trying so hard not to overdo DQs, they've almost made DQs meaningless. See what I mean? Moving on, though, we've got AEW Dynamite. Now, this one was probably the biggest one because it was the um, go-home edition of Dynamite. Everything that happened on here had implications into Double or Nothing. Uh, and so, And it showed. It started off 10 came out Brody Lee came out with him uh, in fact the whole Dark Order came out all the minions and and uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds uh, were there as well and they held up the uh, belt the title the world title that they stole from John Moxley Brody Lee kind of called out John Moxley all of this stuff uh, goes pretty hard into the you know I am the world champion because possession is nine tenths of the law sort of a thing. He says, we operate on an elite level, and I am the lion. And so on Saturday, I, I will win to pay off the loyalty and love of my followers. He then turns to Ten and talks about how it's his moment to shine. He is the knight of the Dark Order, and he needs to hurt John Moxley for them. And then they leave, and Moxley comes out uh, from the outside and makes, him, makes his way through the crowd down to the ring like he does and basically demolishes Ted. And it, it actually, in my mind, really highlighted how well they've done in this part of the feud because they've, over the past few weeks, built Ted up as kind of a monster. You know, he's come out and he's destroyed people in squash matches. In fact, some of the few squash matches that they've had recently have been Ted destroying people. Uh, and then they have him in a match with John Moxley and you know, 10 gets some offense in. Uh, I'm not saying it's a squash, but uh, in the end, John Moxley just demolishes him and beats the tar out of him, hits the paradigm shift, gets the pin, gets the win. Then he goes out of the ring, grabs a pair of chairs uh, and a microphone, puts 10's arms in one of the chairs and has the other chair, and he calls on the microphone saying... You know, Lee, I'm going to give you 10 seconds, Mr. Brody Lee, to bring Mike back my title, or I'm going to break 10's arm. 
right? You made it about this. You made this. You know, now this is your choice. And Brody Lee appears on the screen and says, you know, you don't make the call. You don't call the shots around here. This is this is uh, my thing. And now you've made it personal. All you had to do was ask for the belt. But now it's personal. Everyone needs to make sacrifices. So me and the Dark Order are leaving. And they do. They walk and they, I don't know, I don't remember if they showed him getting into the limo and leaving, but they leave, right? Um, so Moxley uh, in the ring uh, says, well, you made your choice. Uh, choices have consequences. And slams the chair down onto Ten's arm. Quote, unquote, breaking his arm. Ten flops around like a, like a stuck pig. Uh, sells it really well. Uh, Mox looks vicious because of this. Um, but justified. Like, you, you didn't come away from this saying, oh, man, Moxley hurt him for no reason. You came away from it saying, oh, man, he gave Brody Lee a chance to, to put things right. And Brody Lee chose to... Uh, to leave, and so this this is all on Brody Lee. This is his fault for this happening. So that was actually really entertaining. Um, moving on, MJF and Wardlow come out. Of, of course, last week, uh, MJF uh, had challenged Marco Stunt for this week. He's got his match coming up at Double or Nothing with Jungle Boy, so this is him uh, taunting Jungle Boy a little bit more. Uh, Marco Stunt comes out. MJF allows Marco to get some moves in uh, with to no effect. Uh, and then he um, does the bear hug. Uh, Marco tries to escape, does the leap over. MJF hits him with a belly to belly suplex, smacks him around a bit. You know, I mean, eventually just kind of toys with him for a bit. And then. Uh, in the end, MJF gets the win with the salt of the earth, and uh, Marco taps out. Um, another one of those things that's doing a good job at building up for the feud, uh, building up double or nothing. Uh, MJF then gets the microphone, said Marco lasted longer than anyone thought he would, so uh, he'll let one of his rats give him a kiss. Then he remembered that no one would ever kiss your lips. So Wardlow uh, holds up Marco and MJF says, but you can kiss his ring and punches him in the face with the uh, dynamite diamond ring. Um, I got to be honest, when he did that, I'd almost forgotten about because they hadn't mentioned the dynamite diamond ring in a while. Um, but that's still MJF's kind of move. In the end, though, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus run out and chase off MJF and, and uh, Wardlow. There's no real blows out of it. MJF runs away like a scared little heel. Uh, they do a video package of Cody and Lance Archer. The announcers hype the match a bit, and we know that uh, coming up after the break, uh, it's going to be Jake the Snake Roberts. We come back uh, from the commercial break. Arn Anderson is on his way to the ring. Tony's there to moderate. Uh, Jake the Snake comes out. And they do, I, I'm not going to do it any justice talking about it here, because it was a brilliant old school back and forth promo. It worked very well. Arn Anderson uh, always was great on the mic. Jake the Snakes was probably one of the best heels on the mic. It was great back and forth. Uh, Jake at one point uh, said, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. You're looking thick, uh, which I thought was funny. Um, 
you know, they said they never really had a fight. Arn said it would have been a dream match if they had fought, but they never did. You know, it went back and forth. In the end, um, you know, Arn Anderson says something about, you know, it's so good that you're doing the DDP yoga because it makes you limber, limber and, uh, you know, you're going to need that when I hit the spine buster on your ass and shove your head where the sun don't shine. Um, and then the table gets flipped and, and everything. I mean, it's like a contract signing, except no contract to be signed. Uh, but the table's flipped. There's never any, like, actual altercation with this because we know both of these people are not going to be hitting a ton of moves. Um, I would not be surprised to see Arn Anderson hit someone with a spine buster at double or nothing. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised to see Jake hit someone with a DDT. I do not think we're going to see Arn Anderson hit Jake with a spine buster. I think uh, Jake's major bumping days are probably behind him. And that spine buster, e even coming from uh, an aging Arn Anderson, still is probably not pleasant. So they talk a little bit more about the casino ladder match. Um, we get a little bit more information about it, but they've really kind of kept it vague as to exactly what they're going to be reaching for. Of course, it's not going to be a briefcase because then, then it's too much like Money in the Bank. And we can't have this too much like Money in the Bank. Um, so I think they said it's going to be a chip. I'm assuming it's a poker chip that's going to be hanging up above the uh, uh, arena, above the ring. And whoever climbs it can get that and then cash in the poker chip for their shot I guess I don't know I, I hope they come up with something a little bit more original than cash it in for a shot like like maybe just saying you have the poker chip at the next pay-per-view you get your shot you know what I mean so it's not this I can hold it over your head it's it's more of a, just an immediate front of the line right this is your skipsies anyway uh, they have a promo of Pac talking about the Death Triangle, saying the Death Triangle is uh, still here. You forgot about us, but we haven't gone anywhere. You know, Ray Phoenix is going to destroy Orange Cassidy. And that sets up the fact that the next match is Ray Phoenix versus Orange Cassidy. Uh, great moment to start this off. Uh, Orange Cassidy comes out with his buds, the best friends. Um, and right in the entrance, he turns around and he... You can see he's motioning them. You know, I got this. You just go to the back. I need to do this by myself. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah. So they turn around and uh, go back. And he takes a step out into the thing like he normally does. And in a reference to last week's uh, AEW Dynamite, where Ray Phoenix came out of nowhere and uh, jumping kicked him right across the face. Um out of nowhere comes Ray Phoenix to do that same kick to Orange Cassidy this time. But Orange Cassidy just calmly takes a step back. And Ray Phoenix goes past him in the front. It was brilliant. It was really, really uh, well done. And then Orange Cassidy just walks to the ring and Ray Phoenix recovers from the jumping kick and follows him to the ring. Um, the match was fun to watch. I really enjoyed this match. I'm a big Orange Cassidy fan. Ray Phoenix is phenomenal. I knew they'd have a good match. Uh, the big thing I liked about this is uh, it didn't start off with any of Orange Cassidy's slow kicks or any of his slow poke stuff. He did put the hands in his pockets, 
but but he didn't do the slow super kicks. He didn't do any of that stuff. He came out and he was uh, fired up, dodging attacks, uh, hitting him with slingshots, hitting him with with leaping attacks, shotgun drop kicks, all of this stuff. It went back and forth. It was a high energy match. It showed off a lot of what Orange Cassidy can do. Orange Cassidy's critics obviously have never seen what he can do. His gimmick is really fun when it's done right because it's all about him only doing what he has to do, but that he's capable of doing so much more. And it, it was just a fun back and forth. Uh, you know, Phoenix would get the upper hand for a bit and then uh, Orange Cassidy would get the upper hand and then Phoenix would get the upper hand a bit and then Orange Cassidy, you know, a, a lot of a fun back and forth. In the end, there was some distraction on the outside. Kip Sabian came out to help. I say help, air quotes, help. He set up a ladder outside the ring to sit on top of it uh, to to kind of taunt because all of these people are people who are going to be in the Casino Battle Royal ladder match. Um, Casino ladder match. I can't even remember what they're calling it. Anyways, the taunting kind of comes out. The referee and Orange Cassidy go to talk to him. Phoenix hits the low blow, hits a cutter, rolls up Cassidy for the three count. So Ray Phoenix is the official winner of this match. Uh, But then it comes out. SCU and Christopher Daniels all come out. No, SCU without Christopher Daniels, excuse me, come out, uh, knock uh, Kip Sabian into the ring off the ladder. They brawl. Jimmy Havoc comes out for his boy. Colt Cabana comes out, as do the best friends. Everyone's out there. They're fighting. And then here comes the first of two kind of whoopsie moments, uh, I'll say, for this particular episode of AEW Dynamite. There were two of these moments that I kind of think they probably wish they could take back one of them even worse than this one um so they're all out in the uh, on the edge and um phoenix decides to do one of his rope to rope bounce and then like uh back flip or front flip planches to the outside right um when he does that everyone who's in position to catch him are suddenly out of position because the way he flips forward, flips his head, suddenly where they were set to catch him based on his his trajectory is no longer where he's headed. And they can't step forward because if they step forward, uh, they get kicked right in the face, number one. But number two, uh, even if they do step forward and try to catch him, they run the risk of, of bouncing his head off the uh, apron. So he ends up taking almost a flat back bump to the outside onto the onto the yes there's a little bit of padding there but it's still that's that was like a 10 foot drop onto thin hard padding and it was a little scary um reports as of recording this is that um he's sore but he's ultimately fine and will continue to uh, be able to wrestle in the casino ladder match. But it was very scary to watch. And uh, a lot of people I've seen online are blaming the people outside for not catching him. But you could see that literally they were standing where they thought he was going to be. And then he does this whole tuck his head to flip forward. And when he did that, suddenly they weren't where he was landing. This is one of those high risk maneuvers 
that uh, sometimes goes bad. And this is one of those times it went very bad. Um, fortunately, like I said, it does not appear like he was seriously hurt from it. But he also uh, was not feeling good from it. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, this isn't the only time that something like this happens uh, in the night. And I fear that the other time, which comes up pretty soon here, is worse. So um, in the end, though, a after he he's now laying on the ground, we have a bunch of other people do it. Uh, Orange Cassidy launches out to the ring, uh, out of the ring at the same sort of thing. Does this moonsault outside. I think it was a moonsault. Springboard moonsault, springboard front salt. I can't even remember now. It was crazy. I was actually by this point really just kind of worried about uh, Ray Phoenix, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but uh, he, Orange Cassidy does this kind of amazing, amazing uh, uh, flip to the outside and takes out some other people. And it ends with Orange Cassidy um, standing on, not standing, sitting on the top of the ladder while the best friends are around it. Um, setting up for the casino battle ladder match at Double or Nothing coming up. Um, coming back from the commercial break, we have the uh, advertised women's tag team match. We've got uh, Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander on one side. We got Nyla Rose and Britt Baker on the other side. This was a, a almost WWE type booking decision and I don't want that to sound like I'm saying it's a negative. Um, WWE has been uh, frequently very smart about uh, some of their booking decisions in situations similar to this, where it's like, you've got Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida coming up. You've got Britt Baker versus Chris Stanlander coming up. Put them in tag team matches, then you can have this match going through. It can work at times. And this was one of those times that I think it was on the road to working. Uh, we will find out, however, that it may have been detrimental in the in front. So, but so in this tag match, Nyla Rose and Britt Baker on one side, Chris Statlander and Hikaru Shida on the other side. Uh, it was it was a very good setup overall. Uh, the heels working over the good guys back and forth. Um, it actually goes through a commercial break, comes back. Nyla Rose is continuing uh, to kind of dominate. Statlander fights her way out of the corner, gets the tag to Hikaru Shida. They stack up um, Baker in the corner. He, she hits a knee. She leaves Baker on the apron, nails her with the running knee. Hikaru Shida looks good during all of this stuff. Back and forth. In fact, Britt Baker looks good. Hikaru Shida looked good. Chris Statlander looked good. Nyla Rose looked good. They all looked pretty good, except until this moment in a corner, right? So, um... Britt Baker is in the corner. Nyla Rose is uh, running to attack both Statlander and Cheetah. They dodge her and she hits uh, Britt Baker in the corner. Uh, Britt Baker crumples down into the corner. Statlander and Cheetah pick her up and kind of do one of those low buckle bomb tosses into the corner. Unfortunately, their aim was not particularly great and Nyla Rose lands smack on Britt Baker's knee. I think it was her right knee, if I'm remembering correctly. Her right knee. And you can tell she's in pain. They drag her out and they try to do a pin and she kicks out. They do a body slam on her and Nyla Rose breaks it up. Nyla then drags Britt Baker back to the corner and tags in and then finishes the entire rest of this match. 
as of this point, Britt Baker is not part of the match anymore. In fact, you see trainers looking at her on the, on, on the corner, on the sidelines, right? The match continues on. Uh, Nyla Rose looks good through the rest of it. Hikaru Shida looks pretty good. Um, in the end, Nyla Rose uh, hits the Beast Bomb and covers uh, Shida for the three count. So the villains win, but at a huge cost because Britt Baker looks like she suffered a legitimate serious injury on this. And it's weird because in terms of watching it, it did not look as dangerous as the Ray Phoenix moment. Ray Phoenix looked like, oh, he just killed himself. And this looked like kind of one of those typical movements in the corner until you notice that, that Nyla didn't land on Britt Baker. She landed her entire weight on Britt Baker's knee. Reports have it that uh, Britt Baker is going through an MRI, potential torn ACL. We'll see. I, they, as of the recording of this, they haven't officially announced. I would not be surprised if it was a torn ACL. Uh, this is the sort of uh, impact and injury that could cause that very easily. So uh, that's almost what I'm suspecting, expecting, I should say, uh, which then puts, of course, double or nothing, her match with Chris Statlander is in jeopardy. And so I don't know how, uh, you know, how they're going to deal with that. Chris Statlander is uh, at a point where she's a big enough star in AEW that she deserves to be on the pay-per-view. But to just throw together a match with no real backstory is a little tough, especially since they've been, spent so much time building up. Britt Baker is kind of this lone wolf who doesn't have anyone in her corner. So who, who would you throw out there uh, to fight her? It wouldn't make sense storyline-wise for almost anyone. About the only one is maybe Penelope Ford, if only because she's a heel. And it would be a good match. Penelope Ford's phenomenal, so I would enjoy that. But this was one of those moments where I don't blame either of Hikaru Shida or Statlander for this, but it, it was a, a bad moment, and maybe it was a spot that shouldn't have been done in the way that it was done. So, in the end... Uh, Nyla Rose gets a table from under the ring, uh, sh sets it up. She's going to um, bomb her through the table, but Statlander stops her. Sheeta then turns around and superplexes um, from the corner, superplexes Ro Nyla Rose through the table. So while the heels won the match, the good guys get some comeuppance in the, in the end. And, and, you know, like it was an entertaining match up until Britt Baker... Uh, I, I feel really bad. I always hate it when someone gets seriously injured in wrestling. It's a risk of the sport. I hope, I hope, hope, hope that it turns out that it's not a fully torn ACL. She's going to miss time one way or another, most likely. Torn ACL, she could be out the rest of the year, though. And she was in the midst of putting together a really good heel you know, promo run. Um, and they're really going to have to work hard to build someone else up to be that heel. It would be interesting to see, uh, I, you, you can tell they're really high on Anna Jay. She doesn't have mic skills as far as we know. I mean, I guess they haven't, haven't given her a chance to talk on the mic much, but it would be one of those things if Britt Baker's injured, they could potentially use her as, as a mouthpiece for someone like Anna Jay, turn Anna Jay heel and have Britt Baker be the voice behind her, you know, the, the, the Jake the Snake Roberts to, to Anna Jay. Something like that, maybe, but I don't know. 
Otherwise, you know, there, there's going to have to be someone who steps up to be another heel in the women's division pretty quickly here. Whether that's uh, Penelope Ford stepping up, whether Priscilla Kelly uh, signs with AEW, there's there's reports, rumors, innuendo uh, that maybe she's in the process. Uh, both Brandy and uh, Cody have commented and remarked on on some of her recent promo tweets online so maybe there's some smoke to that fire some fire to that smoke i don't know anyways but we don't know in the end though something's gonna have to happen because taking a loss of Britt baker right now is gonna be tough for them in the long run in the back uh they go uh, alex marvez is interviewing john moxley john moxley says uh double or nothing uh brody lee is going to sleep and he will wake up with a, a super suit and a bunch of guys in gimp masks it's it's, it was a funny little promo, but it was kind of short, and it was one of those where I almost felt like they didn't need to have another John Moxley promo in the back, that his promo earlier, his arm break of 10, was enough uh, to set it up. That was a good exclamation point on this feud leading into the pay-per-view. So They then do a Sean Spears News Network, SSN, where Sean Spears is setting like a news anchor, and uh, he claims Dustin Rhodes is retired. He mocks Dustin's past addiction battles. Um, says it's, it's, you know, for such a great guy, it's a travesty he doesn't have a match at Double or Nothing. So I'm going to challenge Dustin Rhodes to a match at Double or Nothing. Um, and then uh, back to the announcers. And they basically just say, we're going to go ahead and say it. It's Sean Spears versus Dustin at Double or Nothing. I kind of wish they would have drugged that out a little bit more. And I don't know if, you know, we go back to pretending there's a competition committee in the back that's deciding this stuff. That was WCW's thing in the earlier days where the WCW competition committee has booked this match. Maybe they do something like that. I don't know. But to me, it was a little bit a little bit jarring that Sean Spears challenged him and then they come back and the announcer was like, well, we'll just say it's a match. They then uh, go to uh, some video packages about Matt Hardy versus the Inner Circle. Of course, leading up to the the big uh, main event match of the evening with Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy. This was this was fun. You know, Matt Hardy can't do some of the stuff that Matt Hardy used to do, but he's smart enough to know it, and that's why he was able to change his character enough to not have to take some of the big bumps that he used to some of the things that were really hard on his body chris jericho is another person who's done a really good job of modifying his uh ring work to uh suit his elder age you know as we get older we can't do the same things that we did before uh chris jericho was never quite as big of a risk taker as like a matt hardy was but he was still a high flyer early on and he knows that he can't do it, but he's been able to change his style enough to be more of a brawler now. And it fits him. And it's kind of the same thing with Matt Hardy. He's a lot more of a brawler. He doesn't do as many of the really high-risk stuff. Uh, he did try to hit Sammy with the razor's edge, which was kind of fun to see, but Sammy escaped. There were multiple twists of fate or twists of fate attempts in it. Uh, Sammy tried for the standing moonsault, but Matt rolled out of the way. This went back and forth, really showed off uh, Sammy as an up-and-comer. I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I suspect that Sammy will be 
in the running for maybe not the world title, but the TV title, or the TNT title, I should call it, within the next few months. They've given him a few losses recently, but I think they'll give him some, some wins and put him on a hot streak. It may be, I, I could see that all coming after he uh, leaves the inner circle. Like, potentially, uh, he gets ousted because he loses too much. Something, some sort of storyline like that I can see happening. But uh, right now, Matt Hardy gets the win. Uh, Sammy Guevara took the twist of fate like an absolute champ. Looks like it killed him, right? Matt then goes outside of the ring to get a chair. But then we see Chris Jericho in the inner circle have Kenny Omega. And they're, they're propping him up against one of the uh, goalposts at the attached football field, which is where their match at Double or Nothing will take place. The Elite versus the Inner Circle Stadium Stampede match. I can't even remember what they're calling it. But they've obviously been beating Kenny Omega with the bat. So they're, they're trying to beat on him. All of a sudden, the Young Bucks come out of the stands and leap in uh, due to these planchas onto the ground um so so now we've got two of the or two more of the elite three of the elite there there's fighting going back and forth so so we've got matt hardy matt hardy still in the ring at this point but you got the young bucks kenny omega and then the inner circle is of course proud and powerful santana and ortiz jake hager and jericho out there with sammy Guevara still in the ring as well the um Three on four, of course, gives the inner circle an upper hand at this point, and they continue to beat up on the elite. And there's this just wonderful moment. If you're listening to this, I would bet hard money you've already seen the gif of this, or at least the replay of it, because it's so great. Jake Hager is beating on one of the young bucks. I want to say it was Matt, but it was it was so quick, I almost didn't catch it at first. And if you're watching the background, you just see a little bit of motion. And uh, Jake Hager picks on his shoulders like he's going to do fireman's carry slam or something. I don't remember. Right. But he gets him up there and the, the young buck slithers out and drops down. And Jake Hager looks. And at this point, you can just tell there's just something moving on the field. And it gets bigger. And it's Hangman Page doing a 100-yard sprint uh, in cowboy boots across the field to absolutely level Jake Hager with a lariat. He then turns around and lariats one of Santana Ortiz. I think it was Santana, but I'm not remembering for certain. So now it's evened up and they fight and it ends up, uh, of course, Matt Hardy shows up. So so now they, they have a little bit of an upper hand, the inner circle, then kick rocks and, and leave. And so now you've got the elite standing there and Hangman Page just kind of walks off. And so you're left with the other four members of the elite standing and posing. Of course, the Young Bucks do their pose because that's what they do. And Hangman Page just walks out of the arena out the back. So kind of this great moment of he, he's not sure where he stands with the elite, but he sure as hell is going to show up and and kick the ass of anyone who's beaten up on them. It's kind of like, I can beat up on my brother, but you can't beat up on my brother situation. Just a great moment there. And then and then that's fade to black on the episode. So a great episode back and forth with all of that. Um, I do want to point out, it's someone online said it, and it, it suddenly uh, struck me. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden the last couple weeks, Chris Jericho has had a bat. With all of this talk of Sting potentially being a free agent, potentially coming to AEW, the fact that all of a sudden Chris Jericho has a bat, I'm not saying that guarantees he's coming in. It could just be AEW trolling with us, but I think it's very definitely part of their mindset. So that being said, like I said, I, I don't know for certain that Sting's coming in. I feel like it's likely he's at least negotiating with AEW at the same time as he might be renegotiating something with WWE. Who knows? Uh, but it's, it's, I mean, it's not the first time that AEW has trolled their fans. They put up all sorts of CM Punk hints for months prior to All In, prior to the announcement, prior to Double or Nothing. They've hinted at Marty Skrull left and right uh, up until he re-signed with Ring of Honor. They've uh, hinted at pretty much everyone. FTR goes back to their Ring of Honor days. So they're hinting, obviously, that Sting is going to be involved. Whether it's true or not, whether it ends up being true, who knows. But it's, it's in my mind, there's no... Uh, question that that's at least their intent. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. This is going to be a long review episode, but it's for two long episodes as well as uh, very eventful episodes leading up to the pay-per-view this weekend. So um, these were darn near perfect. I'm going 9.5 out of 10 citations. The the biggest thing that uh, holds these back, the only cons to it are the two potential major injuries like I say I hear Phoenix is probably fine uh but Britt Baker potentially being out for a long time that hurts AEW a lot uh in the long run especially the fact that she's one of the standouts of that women's division so I do think it's at least a little ironic that she potentially gets taken out with a relatively tame looking spot after looking so horrified while her boyfriend, uh, the dead Adam Cole, uh, Bebe, took some horrendous punishments in, in a cage match at NXT and came out just fine. So it's kind of a, a bitter irony to that, but 9.5 out of 10. I am super stoked for Double or Nothing. Um, I'm, you know, right now debating on, on who to pick for it and, and write my predictions, and I gotta be honest, I'm a little torn. I don't know uh, there are very, very many of these matches that aren't as clean cut as they could be. So, but anyways, 9.5 out of 10 for AEW this week. Uh, I'm going to go watch NXT now and I will see you soon with our, uh, double or nothing review and everything after that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.